0: All right. Hello and welcome to RealCom's first session in the Smart Building Showcase series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom's guest host for today's webinar, IoT at the Edge, Advancing the Smart Building Conversation. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. If you think a smart edge device has something to do with an Alexa-controlled self-sharpening kitchen knife, I guarantee you're going to learn something new today. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you to, again to the live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if we don't get them all answered during the webinar, don't worry. We'll follow up with you once the event has concluded. You'll find today's presentation in the, and the presenter bios in the handout section of your go webinar control panel. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't watch those. Watch us. What, what are you doing? So, and if you're experiencing any technical issues, like with connectivity, sound, video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Sarah Bempared at S-B-E-M-P-O-R-A-D at realcom.com for help during the event, but don't worry. You won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the webinar recording in just the next few days. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors, Dialog, now a renaissance company, is a leader in industrial automation. They develop edge IoT software that runs many of the smart building networks. Through its edge server partner program, renaissance enables data and device integration with edge and cloud computing infrastructure. LinkSpring is embracing open software and hardware platforms. They develop, manufacture, distribute, and support edge-to-enterprise solutions that create smarter buildings, smart equipment, and smart applications. Retransform provides business management, technology, and analytics solutions to commercial, residential, retail, and corporate occupier clients, improving both NOI and ROI. Their solutions improve operational efficiencies and drive bottom line benefits. Losent is an easy to use and powerful enterprise IoT platform designed to help teams quickly and securely build real-time connected IoT solutions and products. They make developing IoT applications easier. Let's watch a video to hear more about what they offer.
1: Losan is an
2: Internet of Things software company based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Losan is an easy to use and powerful enterprise IoT platform designed to help teams quickly and securely build complex real-time connected solutions. Today, I'm going to be taking a closer look at how Losan can integrate with building management systems through the use of BACnet nodes in Losan's visual workflow engine, which will further enable the coordination of data for smart environment applications. Smart environment IoT applications need to serve many different audiences, Developers need a way to access and process many different types of data coming from different devices and hardware that exist throughout a building or corporate campus. Integration with BACnet devices and networks through Losan builds on our capability to orchestrate data from a variety of sources, expanding the level of information available to your users to better understand their environments.
0: We're back. And I just want to thank uh, again, thank our all of our sponsors for helping us out at RealCom and our viewers. And if you're looking to make the buildings in your portfolio smarter, be sure to check out these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. And finally, our moderator is Mike Smith, president of White Space. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Chuck, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. You have such a great panel for discussion today. I'm just going to
3: leave you with it and join back at the end of the program. Thanks, Chuck. We'll see you soon. You got uh, it. We do have a great panel today and, and really excited because this is, this has been a hot topic among uh, real estate companies, integrators alike. Um, and, and it's really around the IoT to the edge, as Chuck mentioned. And, and this is the first part of a two-part series that RealCom will be doing. So I encourage you to check it out in mid-April, the, uh, the second session. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about smart buildings a lot, and that, that's been a term that's been around for a long time. But I think it means something different to different people. Right, So um, you may look at it as from HVAC controls or from lighting or access controls, or maybe it's a, a, an, an enhanced experience. Um, and, and today um, we hope to kind of um, change that mindset and kind of really tell you differently what we mean by smart buildings and, and how IoT at the edge uh, is related. So the IoT of smart edge devices that can provide a gateway to the cloud Uh, while keeping the majority of the data localized within the building is gaining popularity and today we we will explore on how to make that device level um, change and and again change our, our our means and methods here and understand the methodology of what data stays in the building and what information actually goes to the cloud. So um, very, very excited to hear our panel. Um, I will say first, if uh, you have questions that come up, uh, please submit them in the chat and myself and Chuck will be kind of fielding those questions. Um, If we don't get to them during the presentation, we'll get to them at the Q&A at the end of the presentation. Um, Our first presenter is uh, Jerry Hamilton. Um, He's the Director of Facility Energy Management at Stanford University. Hey Jerry, how are you? Great. How are you doing, Mike? Good. Thank you. So, so Jerry's a key member of Stanford University's sustainability and energy management team. He oversees the department's energy use planning, sustainability programs, business systems, and analytics and initiatives, and steers academic integrations to aid program implementations. Jerry, floor's all yours.
2: Great. Thank you. Well, today I'm going to talk in the context of HVAC Automation System Data Analytics. And I wish I had the perfect advice for y'all so that you could um, optimize perfect analytics. I can't give you that, but I do want to give you uh, a teaser of some success we've had. I'm very proud of my team related to work they've done the past, I'd say, 24 months related to data management. So we've had the fortune of being able to pilot multiple fault detection and diagnostic platforms, things that you would consider you know all in the cloud, things that you would consider all on-prem, and have had some success. And when we look at our, our our hurdles, it has to do with adoption across a broad use of uh, stakeholders on, on on campus. And we look at, well, what are our pain points? Why can't we get this working across more groups of people? And we found things like, um, you know, the vast majority of our alerts were due to data problems, you know, mismap points, loss of comms. And if you're on the IT side, you know the hundreds of different things that can go wrong moving data. As a result of that, my subject matter experts who are controls engineers, our partners who are network engineers, spend a lot of time babysitting the system, uh, doing break it, you know, break fix sorts of things, not to mention trying to onboard uh, one-off applications, uh, and this, you know, this wears people out. You know, it, it it hurts morale. We're trying to get a new system and a new process in place. So if we break it down even further, what we find is, uh, even though I, as a as a manager, I'll draw a box and say, okay, this is where the data comes from. I'll draw an arrow and say, this is where it's got to go to. The fact of the matter is, there's a lot going on beneath the surface. Things like, you know, multiple data hops, multiple protocol conversions. Um, And nobody really owns everything from beginning to end. I've got someone who's an expert on the building control system. I may have someone who's an expert on uh, an intermediary, um, you know, database, data historian we use, but there's just lots of gaps. And so we took the time to invest in trying to get the data set right in the first place with the hopes that once that's fine, um, you know, sharing it becomes quite easy. So we spent a lot of time talking about data governance lately and here's a, a data governance pyramid image that we use and as you work your way to the high end the hierarchy of data governance that's where the fun stuff is the uh, artificial intelligence the machine learning at the tip-top reporting business intelligence so that's what we want but really where we have to invest our time is at the bottom here and we were told that going into this and we've learned the hard way that it is in fact true Um but we feel like we are making progress. The first step uh, for us was to really define our use cases. We can't have all analytics on everything all the time, and we're just spinning our wheels. So we decided, you know, number one, most important is new construction commissioning. At Stanford, we've built a lot of uh, projects, and these projects need to come online quickly and reliably. So um, we want um, our commissioning agents to be able to plug in with their analytics as soon as the controls start to come online. Secondly, if we have more time, and our staff does, we'll focus on our large retrofit, our capital renewal projects, and make sure they can come online quickly. Um, Next, in priority, uh, we had some time, so working with our maintenance team, both our PM and reactive maintenance folks, they said, hey, you know, it'd be great if we could at least look at all the air handling units under a fault detection. And diagnostic platform so we got that data normalized and and flowing reliably next um, we have a research program going right now with the academic side and so we put a little bit of labor into enabling the points that we need to process and and, and share there and then really kind of at the bottom of the list and you hate to say it at the bottom but um, we just can't get around to having everything and so uh, we have an ongoing commissioning program that in theory includes the entire campus but we're gradually adding buildings and, and, and mechanical systems to that portfolio as time enables and as our maintenance staff are able to um, utilize that information. Just having the analytics doesn't mean they're able to utilize it. Um, we also learned that if we're gonna spend time to investing in prepping our data, uh, we better know why we're doing it. So this flow diagram just shows, you know, on the left, where's the data coming from? and on the right, where is it going? So, if you don't have a specific use or two or three for the data point, uh, we're not going to spend the time up front um, to get it cleaned up and ready to go. So, what are we doing? Basically, we have standardized on a data tagging schema, and we're using it very diligently now. Uh, Basically, we're, we're normalizing our data, and we're doing it as close to the edge as possible, which basically means for HVAC, we're doing it in um, the HVAC controls, again, as far out toward the edge as as we can. Um, this isn't something that's done by one specialist in-house. We have in-house experts who know how to do this. They're familiar with our data dictionary and our, our tagging library, uh, but we've also trained and instructed our third-party integrators that if you're doing work on campus um, and you're bringing on a new control system in a new building, we expect these tags to be in place, um, you know, really before anything starts coming on coming on our network. And doing that enables it to flow directly into all the downstream users, which again, number one, would be our, our commissioning agent and the analytics that they need to use. Um, this takes time. It took us multiple years to develop this standard. It took us time to get the kinks out. It took us time to train these folks. Um, but having gone through that, and there's still things that you got to clean up because no tagging system is perfect. But having gone through that, the past 18 months, we've actually seen these one and two level priorities work out, you know, things actually do flow, you get stuff done quickly. Um, and it's it's been a, a breath of fresh air. Um, the bottom line point here is don't start moving the data until it's tagged, it's incredibly tempting, but you just end up with a, a bigger mess you got to clean up later on. So our, our MO is, you know, eliminate the data stream clutter so we can be scalable, flexible, and resilient with regard to how we're using data. You know, business as usual was looking like something on the, this top stream. You know, you had field devices, and they would hop to hop through a variety of gateway devices, and there could be several of those. Um, often they would go into a source system, which would be a, perhaps a centralized uh, HVAC control server somewhere. Or it could be uh, a metering head-end system if you're trying to get energy data. It could be a SCADA system if you're trying to get um, data out of a central utility system or a water system. But lots of hops before the data even can touch the analytics platform. Uh, Now, with our new paradigm, and we've got a long way to continue to roll this out across all our facilities, uh, we're at least getting the controllers um, and the data in those into our analytics platform Um, in a much quicker and cleaner fashion. Are we running analytics in our field devices themselves? Do we have logic running there? Not so much. We're doing some piloting there. That's going to be the next step. Um, But we still felt that until we've got real good control of our data at the edge, doing analytics at the edge, um, is is still going to be an issue. And let's see here. Um, and so that's basically it. Um, Mike, I'll bring it back to you. Uh, I could talk about this for days, but I appreciate yeah. uh, you giving me some time here.
3: I, I appreciate it, Jerry. You know, you, you mentioned um, what you guys are kind of doing at the edge and then, um, doing those analytics in the cloud and getting that, you know, what, what has been the bottleneck for you guys, um, a, a, to perform the analytics on the cloud? Like what, what, what's any issues or any hurdles that you've had?
2: Um, Well, the biggest problem was just the time that our subject matter experts had to commit to it in house. And so we would have our automation system experts who are very familiar with the points. You know, where is this data coming from? What does this data mean? Uh, We'd also have to collaborate with our network subject matter experts. And our automation folks are pretty good at that, but we still have to bring in our IT experts um, to ensure that we had a clean handshake between our prem and our service provider in the cloud, for example. So, you know, there'd be weekly emails about, oh, let's check this point, let's confirm that point, which was fine, you know, it would work, the analytics would work, but we faced a scalability problem. You know, let's say we're doing 10 people and we've got to spend 10 hours a week for just maintaining this. Well, if I want to do 100 buildings, does that mean I need 100 hours? And it was just going to be a limit. We've got to eliminate, you know, at least nine out of these 10 hours a week, otherwise we're not going to be scalable and people get tired of having to babysit technical platforms because at the end of the day it's always somebody else's um pet project right like, well, this is jerry's platform he's the one who went to realcom and got influenced by this vendor it's his i'm tired of having to do this whereas if it's easy then it's like jerry thanks for bringing this in right i'd love working with this vendor it saves us a bunch of time so really focusing on the time is um what's what's driving this right it's it, it's no longer what's fun and exciting it's how do we um, save our maintenance staff time and our techs and everybody else?
3: What about um, you know we are you're collecting a lot of a lot of information and a lot of data points, um, and, and we as consultants always encourage our clients not to take a you know too big of a bite of the apple. Um, but how do you prioritize the data points to onboard
2: um, into this system? Well, fortunately, I have some staff who are pretty diligent about that now these are the ones that have learned the hard lessons about trying to support more than you absolutely have so um, we have documentation that we use we have a business requirements document template that we use before we even start trying to share data so for example we have a business requirements document we use for new construction commissioning so every project that comes on has to have the brd completed and once it's completed we verify um, specifically all the points that are going to be needed. And it seems kind of trivial, well, it's just, you know, you got the HVAC system, let's move all the points. But there are a lot of details, right? And if this commissioning agent doesn't need the point, then let's not spend the time configuring it now. Um, that staff could be used doing something else. Um, so it, it's kind of simple, but at the same time, we didn't go to that level of resolution. Um, and that's what's important. And similarly, if doing research uh, with our academic partners, you know, what points do you actually need? And then we have to tell our team, it's like, I know you have more points in the air handler, but we don't need them right now. Um, let's just get what we got, um, make some notes, you know, and so we know where, where we're at. Maybe we go back later because the air handling continuous commissioning program needs it, or maybe we go back later once we have that, that, that need. Um, so it, it's hard. You all have to just, resist the temptation to do more um because it it's just it's going to hold you up yeah no I, I understand
3: so so thank thank you jerry i appreciate it look forward to our uh, q and a session at the uh, at the end here um Definitely. thanks again so our 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 next speaker is uh byron panetta of killwar Realty. byron are you with us hey mike how are you i'm good Um, So Byron is the Director of Operational Technology responsible for managing and innovating Kilroy's Realty's smart building systems. He helps uh, determine policies and procedures from security to maintenance to increase building efficiencies and tenant experience.
4: Yeah, thank you, Mike. Uh, And I guess I'll take it away and and talk about our, our project and how we're using data. So. Uh, some of you guys are, are probably familiar with Kilroy, we're a REIT, uh, primarily focused on West Coast operations, Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. Uh, we recently entered the Austin market, so we're excited about that, but we're in a place where we want to develop and lead our buildings uh, to sustainability, to technology, and we believe that we're very big in innovation, right? We we label ourselves as a, a company that is innovative. We are where innovation works. and. Uh, We're looking forward to using technology and all its subsets to be able to help our tenants but also be able to build a building that is you know comfortable happy and enjoyable for our our employees and our tenants to work in so uh, as part of that we've created an iot ot environment that helps converge all the subsystems within a building right so if you look at our infrastructure we have about 70 edge devices that we call, you know, our iNodes, our, our firewall devices that help us aggregate and introduce certain solutions into the environment. And from there, we're able to then interconnect all the subsystems within that site. So uh, you have, you know, smart elevators, you have water detection, you have access control cameras, HVAC controllers, you have maybe a myriad method system. So all those systems are interconnected within the building and we're able to then provide and pull services from all the different endpoints. Uh, we have about 34 services uh, deployed throughout the portfolio, and those services help either aggregate data, uh, shuffle data from one location to another, and be able to pull information sitting within our buildings, uh, so that we can then use those metrics, use that data, and be able to uh, be able to pull that information as needed with our, our BI teams. Uh, we've also created security groups within the buildings, right, so that we know that certain users have access to the permissions to those uh, solutions within the site. Uh, and we actually manage about 149 unique control points. And those control points are you know, servers, workstations, POCs, not necessarily the smaller subsystems. So like VAV boxes or, or cameras are not included as part of those 149 points. It's mostly the control devices that are actually aggregating the data from the different uh, devices within the field. We also have about 134 individual networks within our portfolio. And when we're talking about this, it's completely air-gapped from our corporate network. So this is separate from our you know, file shares, or our email servers, all that traditional IT infrastructure. This is solely focused on the infrastructure of the building, the operational technology of the building, what helps us maintain, what helps us operate, what helps us control the building so that we can continue its efficiency, its security, and make it a comfortable place for our tenants to come in and, and be happy to work in. Uh, And as you guys can see, most of you guys probably have uh, systems like us, but we have a myriad of solutions across the board. And sometimes, you know, we're able to have a standard, but as you acquire and and sell off assets, you know, you'll you'll find out that you'll get a different system everywhere. So uh, we had to figure out a way to interconnect all those solutions without having to rip anything out. So creating the infrastructure that we put in place allowed us to be able to be agnostic at the device level, at the field level, Uh, but still be able to pull the data through controls that we have in place. Uh, Specifically for our purposes today, I'm going to be talking about devices that are dealing with security. Uh, You can pull, like I said, different solutions, different information from a myriad of of systems. But for this call, uh, I'm going to talk specifically about security. Uh, Jerry and his team did a great job with HVAC. I wanted us to focus a little bit more on the security side. right? Uh, As you guys know, camera systems are very, very, very smart. Uh, and a lot of the analytics are being done at the edge. And when I talk about the edge in this solution, it's the edge device, the camera themselves. You know, a lot of these control um, security vendors are creating analytics package for the cameras, creating solutions for package for the cameras. So you really have data that is being created at the camera itself, whether that is you know license plate recognition, facial recognition, movement, uh, whatever you might want to see, uh, geofencing through a camera, so that you get specific updates and specific uh, notifications, that is done at the camera level, right? The local uh, security team is able to use that for their day-to-day operations, they're able to figure out, you know, uh, is this car supposed to be within the property? Uh, somebody broke a barrier, who was that person? Can we track them through, the, through our assets? Uh, or just to figure out, you know, a door was open or was left open, it shouldn't be open because it leads to a security corridor or a delivery corridor. So. That data can then be shuffled locally to the building. So your security team can then happen it, be able to, you know, either interact with the users or interact with, you know, whoever the the suspect might be who is either creating the issue or be able to educate a a tenant and say, hey, by the way, you came in through the wrong door today, or you left the door open today. Please make sure that you close that. Uh, but then from there, we're able to take that information into the cloud, right? Because you're getting data. And then we go back and, and so what we created was a regional security operation center where we are feeding camera feeds, uh, strategic camera feeds from about 350 cameras within our portfolio in certain areas into a specific cloud solution, where then we are able to aggregate the different feeds from the different sites and take the data that we really like. So saying, uh, let's say for say you have a person who is not allowed at your property A, but you also want them not to be allowed at property B, C and D. Uh, if the data is only kept at property A, you're restricting yourself. What we're doing now is we're taking data from property A, sending it to our cloud and telling our security teams, be on the lookout for this gentleman or this woman or this person, whoever that might be, across the portfolio, instead of having to send out emails, send out pictures, you are then creating uh, validation rules and security rules at our cloud level because we're using data from the edge to say, if you see this person at any one of our other properties, Please notify our security team immediately, whether that's you know at property A, B, C, or D. You're then also able to take uh, frequent issues, frequent solutions, or frequent incidents that you might have, and say, we know that at 2 p.m. this door is always open within the building uh, because it's you know FedEx is delivering and the FedEx guy leaves the door open. That's okay, that's a known issue, but let's not have that become an incident every single day for our local security team, right? Let's put metrics around that or put validation rules to say, if at 2 p.m. The door is open, not necessarily create an issue, but if that door is still open by 2.10 to 15, then create an incident, because by then the FedEx driver should be done with his deliveries. So you're taking data from the edge, uh, still utilizing it locally, but then taking it up to your cloud to be able to act and uh, provide more solutions in there. And that's where the edge versus the cloud migration and integration happens for us, right? We're able to look at local incidents for our security staff to be able to operate, maintain and produce a, the type of work we want them to do uh, to be able to effectively operate the building, but then also take those solutions, those incidents, that data into our cloud and then use it as asset aggregation and say as a portfolio, how are we operating? Uh, it also allows us to have cross-platform coverage. Uh, we're able to take data from say, different, uh, access control systems, camera systems connected together and be able to put rules and efficiencies around that to say, when this door is open, turn on this camera and then create an incident for us so that we know who's coming in and keep it within you know, a certain amount of time so that if there's an incident or there's any issue, we can then provide that for our you know security officers, police departments or wherever that might be. It also allows you to create regional incidents. Uh, let's say that you have multiple tenants in multiple regions and there's that one person who goes across that location, you're able to track them, you're able to track those those problems. Uh, One of the big things that we saw, and and it's something that we had a conversation with our vendors last week is, we're seeing a reduction in false positive incidents. And what I mean with false positive incidents are recurring issues, or maybe not even issues, but recurring events that happen at a building that maybe you always send out a a security officer for, right? That you always see that door that's always open, right? It creates an incident every day and you have to respond to it. Now we're able to say that incident, it's not really an incident, it's a known event that we may not have or or have not, you know, strategically always put it on our calendars, but it's an event that we can create and then reduce that amount of of issues. Or it can be that, you know, there's trees or there's something that's moving in the background that is now identified by analytics and saying, oh no, no, that's just a tree moving. It's not actually somebody there. Or uh, somebody always comes at the same time, to the same location, geofencing, right? Being able to protect your assets uh, with less staff. Uh, and this has allowed us now to be able to use technology in a better way uh, to be able to enhance the work for our security staff and engineers. So uh, using that this subset, that small subset of cameras and that small subset of data from the edge, using that to put it into our analytics platform and then aggregate that as a portfolio has been really, you know, really helpful for us. And now we are moving forward with the creation of additional regional security operation centers. And, and yeah, then we're using that across our portfolio. So it's uh, it's an exciting point for us. We're able to pull a ton of cameras and a very easy and simple solution. And it's uh, it's, it's helped for the growth of our, our staff and the security officers.
3: Byron, Byron, I think this is a, a fascinating topic, especially for real estate companies like yours that have a, a very broad portfolio across the country. So it, looking at that security um, operations center, I believe it's called, um, is there an ROI? Because I know they're not they're not they're not cheap to set up, but is there a potential o- R- ROI in those scenarios that that we should be aware of?
4: Yeah, I mean, actually, it helps you reduce the cost of staff, right? So it helps you actually to reduce your local on the boots on the ground guys. So if you have an asset where you have a security officer that is on 24 hours, or they're supposed to be security officers 24 hours, most of the times those guys are sitting at the chair at the console without any activity right? And let's say that down the street, you have the same guy sitting in a different building and so forth, so forth, right? So let's say every mile or every two miles, especially if you have them within a cluster, right? A lot of our assets sit within a cluster relatively close to each other. So it's allowed us to pull security officers from certain locations and say, let's use the technology to have that RSOC, which is 24/7, taking a look at that location, right? So we're able to say between two in the morning and six in the morning, for building A, make sure that anything that happens on those cameras directly come into the RSOC. So if we do have an incident, we then are able to then respond either to police department or our own security staff, right? So it helps us reduce the amount of officers within these sites. Uh, It also helps us kind of aggregate to their technology tool belt. With the the way that the economy is going, a lot of our officers, uh, the cost of security is going up, right? You're paying two, three, four extra dollars an hour per Per user now, right? Uh, So it's it's very enticing for them to jump to other organizations, jump to other companies. So you have to figure out to say, you know, my class A guys who are top of the field, I want to be able to retain them, give them the tools, uh, and make sure that they have the different solutions available for them to be successful. So it's allowed us to reduce staff, but also make more coverage because now we have 24/7 incidents response. We're able to see what's happening on our building live, uh, and then allows us to know cut costs here and there for roving officers, be able to set up schedules, be able to set camera schedules and say, instead of having somebody walk for 30 minutes, just rotate those cameras for 30 minutes. And if you see something, immediately notify us and then we'll, we'll work on that. So,
3: Yeah, that makes sense. And I appreciate it. Well, well, well thank you, Byron. And, and again, we'll, we'll look forward to connecting with you at the Q&A. Um, before our, our uh, next speaker, we have a video to show you.
0: LinkSpring's Edge to Enterprise for Enterprise and Multi-Sites is a turnkey smart building solution that connects, accesses, and translates operational and facility data from devices and equipment into actionable information. Information that can save energy, increase efficiency, and reduce operating costs while maintaining a higher level of comfort for occupants. The Edge to Enterprise solution consists of hardware and software combined with engineering, deployment and professional services. It's everything you need to deploy and experience the value of a smart facility enterprise, including connectivity, integration, interoperability, automation, command and control, data access and normalization, analytics, and cloud services.
3: Great, uh, our next speaker is uh, Mark Petcock. How are you, Mark? Good, Mike, how you doing? Good and, and and you know Mark Mark has been around for a long time. Uh, for those of you who don't know Mark and, and what he does at Linkspring, um, Mark is the uh, he's the Chief Marketing and Communication Officer for Linkspring. He leads corporate and product marketing strategies, brand management, public relations, communications, and supports the company's uh, strategic and growth initiatives. That's a lot, Mark.
5: Too much, man, I tell you. That's why I have no hair left. And you know, so I think that's, that's it. Uh, but again, thanks for uh, including me in today. I'm delighted to be here. So what I thought I would share with uh, the group listening uh, are four points or four key areas uh, that involve the edge within the built environment. So I'm going to briefly talk about what is it. What is the edge within the built environment? Why are we here? How did we get here? What are some of the benefits and value? And uh, what is uh, an important outcome as a result of the edge and moving to the edge within the built environment? Obviously, there are many more outcomes than just one, but I thought I would just kind of concentrate on one. So let's take a look at uh, what the edge is within our environment, our built environment. So just simply put, look at it as the ability to connect, collect, process data, and key here, take actions at a sensor, controller, at the equipment or the device level rather than in the cloud or at a enterprise look at it as a way to execute applications that traditionally have been associated with the enterprise or middleware for that matter at a place where we can process and analyze data closer to or at the source itself. And I like to say where it's most needed at that device level. And you'll keep hearing me that's a recurring theme at the device level as far as the points I'm going to be making here today. And look at it as analyze data in real time, uh, delivering faster answers to questions and facilitating uh, faster action. We both, we've heard from both Bayron and Byron and um, Jerry about how they're util- utilizing this, the data and the analytics at the edge. So I think, thank you guys for setting that up. So let's look at uh, the next, uh, Ian, you're going to have to advance the slide for me please, thank you. So why are we here? How did we get here? And I think it's, it's not one reason, it's not two reasons, but it's actually multiple reasons. So one is, let's take a look at the breadth of connectivity options that we have today that is available for us to implement within our, our buildings. Uh, Next one is IP, the true growth movement and movement towards IP. Three is the volume of data that exists within our devices, within our equipment, within our system. It's immense the volume of data that we can now have access to. Uh, Next one is inefficient bandwidth to really send and transport this data up and back, up and back to the cloud all the time. Obviously, it increases the bandwidth. The cost is an important thing here. The number of new applications that are available for our buildings, the increase importance in real-time requirements, especially in um, those types of facilities, uh, financial, data centers and so forth and so on, laboratories like on Jerry's uh, campus, so forth and so on. And one of my most favorite one is the power and the smartness of the hardware that is available now. Our devices, we used to call them, oh, but they're just little computers. These are big computers now that are available that we're putting in our buildings as controllers and devices. The affordability the whole movement towards open and open systems and the flattening of the building architecture. So let's move on to the next one, the benefits and the value. So again, top one is actions at the device where it takes place. And again, that's a reoccurring thing. I'm trying to make that point today. The speed, the faster response times, the improved application performance, the wider variety of apps, Latency reductions, the ability to scale, security, cybersecurity is first and foremost with all of us. The network bandwidth uh, conservation, lower cost, and more data to provide those enhanced insights and actions. So let's kind of look at all right, this is, in my opinion, one of the most important outcomes as a result of going to the edge is being able to restructure our traditional building architecture to one that has traditionally been vertical to one that is now horizontal and it's being driven by IP. So I just put up an example here for you where you've got some devices there going horizontally, which are controlling a variety of equipment systems and devices within a typical type building. And you see over there the cloud. And uh, one of the things that uh, I do wanna say is, is that the cloud does not go away. And I think uh, Bayron said it good that they're using both uh, doing things at the device level as well as the cloud. And, but this gives you much, many more options within the cloud going to a uh, IP device edge type of architecture. With that, Mike, uh, I'll turn it back to you.
3: I appreciate that, Mark. You know, you, you mentioned um, the edge is still kind of new uh, in, in the built environment, um, but, but where do you think we are in the adoption? I mean, like what, what percentage? Can you give us some statistics on where you think we are? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think,
5: you know, surprisingly, I believe we are, Uh, much further along than I would uh, have expected as a result of a a new way of looking at things. Um, No, I don't have a percentage, but I do see there are more and more specifications coming out with we want to go with a IP or a edge type of, of solution or an architecture. And this is being really driven I think by a combination of things. So one is what I what I see is the convergence now of the traditional OT side of the house with the new workplace side of the house. We've we've all talked about OT and IT convergence, absolutely, but now the newer convergence is this OT and workplace convergence. So that's one. Number two, the push for and the importance of the indoor air quality and the healthy environment we all have to create now within all of our buildings. Three is the, uh, the ESG movement. I see the ESG movement as a great motivator and good use case for the edge type of uh, approach. And finally, the importance of data and analytics and being able to capture that data at that device level and actually do analytics within that device and then choosing to whether keep it there or send all of it or some of it up to a cloud environment.
3: Any um, any barriers that you see as we can move to this? Um...
5: Yeah, I think one is, the still the immaturity of the current market i mean like anything else i think that you know and some perceptions that i believe that are out there that folks need to think they have to completely rip and replace what they have in their buildings which is far from the truth that's not uh that's not true at all that you can you utilize what you have especially for you know existing buildings and things like that So I think it's still part of an education process and getting rid of false perceptions that are out there.
3: Great. Well, I I appreciate your insight and uh, again, look forward to our continued conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, All right. But we have a a video from ReTransform.
6: Introducing Secure, a digital twin platform for the built environment which captures and displays sensory data from IoT devices providing real-time insights into spaces. Secure allows for detailed information to be displayed comprehensively by offering map views of all linked devices and sensors as well as graphs, heat maps, and even custom alerts and notifications. It monitors air quality, occupancy rates, water leaks, waste management, carbon emissions and overall energy consumption, keeping any space in an optimal condition and supporting ESG requirements. Owners, managers, occupants, service providers and even visitors can view all this information in real time at the click of a button on any device. Secure easily integrates with existing systems and devices, saving significant capital expenses. In-building assets can also be tracked and maintained, improving their life cycles. Centrally managing and running a digital twin is just the beginning. Getting real-time data on how a building or space is being used enables the provision of inspiring and engaging facilities to its inhabitants.
7: Hi, Mike. Thank you. Hi, Kalish. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, I'll just do a
3: quick introduction to to Kalish uh, Shandel, which we'll call call him KC, um, so I don't completely continue to destroy your name. Um, uh, KC spearheads innovation and research at ReTransform. He has architected several customers and digital transformation uh, journeys, including commercial real estate analytics, Salesforce, data warehouses, machine learning, AI, and migration to the
7: cloud. Welcome. Thanks, Mike. Um, OK, so, uh, so I want to talk about like smart buildings, digital, digital twins, and some of the use cases, and what are the things we can consider while setting up uh, your smart building, even if you have uh, already sensors and devices, or if you want to get started. Uh, I want to talk about what are the few important things we can uh, think about. Uh, Mark has just explained the edge versus cloud architecture very well. So uh, let's see what we can do with digital twin. So digital twin think of it as uh, it's just a visual representation of an asset. It was first made popular by uh, NASA to understand physical objects using software based simulation. So as you can see in this slide, uh, it's a digital replica of the property and you can visualize and understand air quality energy consumption occupancy level you can have heat maps and you can also capture events like water leakage or a a door was left open then you can also use digital twin for things like indoor navigation like uh, uh, finding the right breakout room during realcom and um, or navigation for facility management a technician can find the equipment within a property that the property that he has never been to using uh, uh, 3D and augmented reality based navigation. So think of it as uh, a digital representation of the property and all the data and information embedded within it. So let's talk about what are the benefits which we can pass it on to the customers, not only from property management, one of it could be transparency of air quality and sanitization information uh, understanding the occupancy of spaces uh, a customer can know when a coffee coffee shop is too busy or when it is not or it could be like finding the right conference room using augmented reality based indoor navigation or even virtually visiting a space uh, vir- vir- virtually visiting a space like a, like you go to zillow and you see the house with before going there. Similarly, a tenant or a customer can experience the space using the digital twin. Okay. Uh, Moving on. So what are the few important things we should consider before picking up the right digital twin technology or what edge devices or technology? Uh, Mark did talk a lot about it earlier, so I'll try to keep it short. Uh, We should always think about uh, security, SSL and TLS. Whether the devices they they are all the data communication is encrypted or not. Uh, we should create a separate network with at with preferably a 4G or 5G failover. So if your uh, network goes down, it has a failover option. Ability to come control your devices remotely using some kind of VPN is also important. If you install. Fi- let's say you install 500 sensors, you don't want to be going to the individual sensors and fixing them. So, ability to remotely manage them is important. Air gap is important. Uh, Byron also talked about it. So, not only your uh, IoT devices should be on a different network than your regular users, IoT devices should not also be allowed to access anything else. So, uh, you should set up firewall, a separate air gap network, so even if one device is compromised, uh, your risk is still isolated. It doesn't spread across uh, to other users of your Wi-Fi or uh, your network. And okay, so um, so what should be on the edge and what should be on the cloud? Now it's a long discussion. We can keep talking about it. But uh, I would recommend a hybrid approach where we decide what do we want to offload uh, to the edge device and not completely rely on cloud, but you need a hybrid approach. So having an IoT edge means everything necessary should be on-premise. Like, for example, uh, can your network pass this test? Turn off the internet. Will the smart building setup, will it still work? If it passes the test, that means you have you have the right uh, setup uh, of a edge-based um, technology. Turning on, turning a device like HVAC on and off should be on the edge. Automations like uh, turning on the ventilation automatically, the logic and processing should be at ed- edge, and it should not depend on the cloud. Then AI, AI processing. Uh, Byron talked about earlier about the video feed. So if you want to process live video and count count the people walking in, uh, that should be processed on the edge. Um, sending it over the cloud will not only be expensive, but also have security issues. So uh, uh, if you want to implement any artificial intelligence or machine learning uh, technology, that should be on the edge. And you should also think about future proof, proofing your setup, Avoid uh, vendor lock-ins, and uh, uh, from a building perspective try to take control of your iot setup uh, it's uh, and uh, and have a good understanding how you are setting it up and be more flexible moving on to the next slide so uh, this slide i just wanted to talk about what are the common technologies and uh, which can be linked using edge data processing hub uh, these are uh, like widely available and very easy to scale and you can connect multiple buildings securely so one on the left zigbee is good for battery powered sensors and also for controlling devices zigbee can create a mesh network so you can scale very easily then lora lora wan is great for long distances it can go several miles you can you cannot do like you cannot send video streams over lora but you can do simple sensor data like a on off status or a temperature a temperature of a um, of a building wi-fi is our old trusty system but edge gateways can automatically create a mesh talk to each other uh, and it will automatically build and repair a secure network so you can look for those edge based wi-fi mesh technologies and you can uh, you can connect a building with the 50 floors very easily using this uh, mesh technology. Uh, Bluetooth is very good if you want to interact with the, uh, if you want your tenants to interact with your, their mo- mobile phones. So Bluetooth is good, then VPN. And you should also consider about legacy system with the serial port and USB based technology when implementing. Thanks. Casey, My- just,
3: yeah. just real quick, um, a, a, one question to kind of throw back at you. You know, a lot of this IoT, in- um, IoT sensors require some type of infrastructure. And in some cases, the IT groups may not play very well with it. But if a building doesn't have any IoT infrastructure, wh- what do you suggest is a good way to start?
7: I would, uh, that's a good point. Uh, I would suggest that if there's no infrastructure, you can easily choose between choose uh, IoT edge gateways, which are based on cellular network, and they're very easy to set up. And so they will create its own secure network and start by something like a temperature, humidity, air quality, and put sensors on the doors. So that's a good way to get started uh, with IoT and reaping the benefits.
3: Great. I I appreciate your presentation. And we already had some questions come in that I'll ask you later in the Q&A. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Um, All right. Before our next uh, two presenters, uh, we have a video to show. Next presentation, we have um, two people that are going to tag team their presentation here. So we have um, Acela Rodrigo and uh, Purba Praden. Hope I said that right. Hi, guys, how are you? Good to see you, Mike. Good. Good. Um, so Acela is the uh, uh, CTO at Prologic. Um, he's the founder um, as well. And um, Prologic is a connected lighting people and property solutions company. Um, Sela started his career in research and development and operations. And uh, real quick, I'll introduce Aperba and I'll let you guys go. Um, Aperba is the um, head of business unit at Renessa. Um, am I saying that right? Renesis. Renesis. I wasn't even close. I apologize. Um, Aperba leads the industrial edge computing division of Dialog at uh, Renesis. Company uh, where he's responsible for product development, operations, sales, and marketing um, of system solutions for smart building, cities, and factories. Welcome, you, but welcome, guys. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Mike.
3: Um, yeah, Sala
1: and I are going to tag team. We're going to talk about edge technologies that actually make people's lives and properties better. I'll start with introducing a technology that we've developed here at Dialog, uh, a Renesis company. Um, it's it's a it's a protocol that's recently been standardized. It's called IoT Access Protocol, uh, IAP for short. And Acela, um will talk about sort of the real life uh, you know projects that uh, they've delivered using this technology and how it's helped their clients achieve better buildings uh, and better experience for for people. Um, so uh, moving right along here, um, you know, commercial building operators today they have to deal with the two biggest you know, uh, issues that we face. Uh, the first is global warming uh, and the second is pandemic. You know, Both of these factors are changing how buildings are, are um, um, managed and operated today. Uh, energy and floor space are, are extremely precious assets that need to be optimized not only for operating profit that affects sort of the cost side of things but also for the experience of the building occupant, the building tenant uh, that occupies the revenue side of things now, fortunately, there are a lot of technologies that exist today to help with this. There are you know very iot based sensing applications uh, that provide very granular view on on how a building is used. Uh, there are you know optimization techniques using modern AI and analytics uh, that allow you to optimize energy and optimize uh, space um, but unfortunately. Um, The integrating these technologies with traditional building automation control systems is uh, costly to say the least right because of various factors you see in the slide here uh, multiple generations of technologies have existed for different um, applications within a building uh, siloed legacy protocols and architectures that don't play friendly with IoT technologies. And also just generally, you know, some of the problems that the other people referred before, uh, referred to before, you know difficulty in data access, uh, tagging data, normalizing that data, presenting that data to other applications. those are all very difficult challenges. And so we've developed um, a, a, um, a software stack that really sits on top of uh, communication protocols uh, that um, uh, we've recently standardized through Lonmark and ANSI and CTA. Uh, that allow any applications and any computing infrastructure, whether it's running in the edge or the cloud, to operate seamlessly with these industrial hardware, industrial networks. You can think of it as it, as creating sort of a common data fabric that breaks down silos of operations, can run distributed edge workflows, uh, also allows developers such as ProLogic to create applications uh, on top of the on top of the sort of the legacy devices that sit in buildings and add new capabilities new uh, as well as new de- devices as well so with that short intro i'm going to turn it over to sela uh, who really you know uh, prologic is one of the more innovative companies that i've ever worked with in the smart lighting and smart building space to show you some of the the landmark projects that they've developed delivered using this technology
8: thank you baba thank you everybody if I sort of break it down, we're very much an open systems controls provider, and we, we take a top-down philosophy, even though we're technology-led. So we use sort of DALI, LON, BACnet IP, uh, going up through Bluetooth and also using the AIP stack that a has been talking about. And we see sort of six key reasons that drive the innovation uh, in smart lighting. Smart lighting, because it's everywhere in a building, becomes a great framework to hang on this wireframe of the lighting system, lots of other facilities and some of the benefits we can give customers around optimizations and reduction of reactive maintenance because you're getting information in real time. You can look at reductions in environmental complaints. If users have controllability of their space, they tend to complain less about what they have. If you get to optimize the uses of understanding how space are used, you can then reduce the volume your building needs to occupy. And obviously there's, you know, Beyond the control system, you have a massive impact on savings you can give to a client. There's sort of, again, reductions in the types of spaces, meeting rooms, the high net worth spaces that you have in a building by using them more efficiently, releasing assets when they're not needed so often. Uh, again, being that using that data coming from all of these assets, these smart assets in the building to make optimal use of them to get the best life cycle performance out of your building. And finally, being able to get that deep learning of what's happening from every sensor, every actuator in the building. So you're making strategic decisions about how the building operates. And one of the things we see almost uh, going back to some of the conversations that is of Jerry's piece is around, you know, what are the outcomes we can provide and some of the, the key ones that we look at by using analytics data and doing the analysis at the edge, which we think is really important to give you an idea. we. In some of our buildings, we're generating 1.2 to 1.5 gigabytes worth of sensor data a day. So there's a huge amount of traffic that we're generating. So if we can aggregate, control, and manage that content right down at the edge, and use the intelligence at that point, we're reducing the amount that we're backhauling up into the cloud. For example, so it's quality in data as opposed to quantity that we're pushing back. But just touching on these points, sort of the sorts the things like targeted messaging, indoor navigation, people and asset tracking having systems operate on profile base, so using almost AI to work spaces in different ways at different times, environmental monitoring, uh, not just from a lighting point of view, but from an HVAC and a building services point of view. Some of the things we've dealt with through the pandemic over the last few months and years, you know, building sanitization. When was that room last used? How many people have been in this area? When do I manage this cleaning processes and so on? And then using that in a more long-term basis around space optimization, space usage, and looking at that in the context of revenue leakage. So you're getting the best outcome possible from the space that you have within your building. And if I take sort of two examples of that, just to show you what we're doing, uh, we have some 2000 buildings that we've delivered using uh, Dialogues technologies in the vast majority of them as the underlying uh, premise that we operate. on. This is one that we developed at HB Rebus, which just took uh, occupation earlier this year. Uh, and just to pick up some of the key milestones, it's a building called uh, Clark and Bloomsbury. Uh, and what we've done here is it's one of the flagship buildings for HB Revis, a developer in Europe here. We've taken a, a DALI 2 lighting control system into a long backend, which then integrates using uh, the smart servers using AIP. And then we've we prever- developed an MQTT presentation on top of that so that we can then integrate with uh, unlike most developers is a developer that has their own in-house development team who have a product called symbiose and you can see from the ipad graphic there the kind of visuals around meeting room booking uh, scene setting environmental control uh, at an app and at a fixed user interface that we've integrated into that Uh, and again a really important point that jerry made very up at the very beginning getting that naming ontology right is so important i think that's probably the biggest risk that we have When you have so many systems, making sure the data is normalized and carried forward in a way that, you know, first time, the quality of the data is there. You know, you have the metadata, you have the measured values, you have the control values in a payload that is agreed and standardized to be able to work with. And if you get it right, integration of occupancy data, scene setting, room booking becomes very, very simple. You know, whether it's an on-prem broker approach or whether we're doing it in the cloud, you know, it, it almost makes the system completely independent of whatever user interface you want to apply on top of it. Another, a really exciting project for us has been the headquarters for ARM, uh, the chip manufacturer, who you know you may be familiar with. The chips to manufacture on behalf of a lot of the major companies out there. It's a 250,000 square foot space that we've delivered in Cambridge, and we're using our own POE lighting technology for 8,000 luminaires from over 30 manufacturers again using long uh, using a 709 as the back-end protocol going back to eight idf rooms with 80 poe switches and from each of those we then have again a, a restful api this time presented from uh, the edge gateway devices and then we're going into two platforms arm's own pelion platform and also into Cereview. So it's really about developing a solution using these generic platforms to give functions that align with the user's requirements and just to give you an example in my final slide just to show you what the ux of that will look like uh, just and in terms of infrastructure some of the innovations we did just using cat6 we took around three tons of copper out of the building compared to a traditional main system it's a fully dc implementation we use proximity data from the census for wayfinding we beacon using eddy stone uh, and iBeacon messages and from that what we're giving the user is uh, an app-based PC-based environment where we can see you can see from the drawing on the right hand side there you can see the green where the desks are used black where there's space available for seating it's densities of users so if you've got too many people within that space all presented as either MQTT as a RESTful API that then developers can put their own UX on top of so a holistic approach but being agnostic about whatever sits above uh, the edge gateway mike thank you
3: the, th- thank you sela um you know y- you mentioned some of these big projects H- how practical is it to to retrofit and apply this technologies to the, to the to an existing property
8: yeah absolutely i mean you know we're a business tw- that is 20 years old you know we've got buildings across the world and because of the the approach around open systems and the approach we're doing it means that you could almost apply this to a project did really 20 years ago as appropriate as you can do to one that we're delivering today so yeah it's it's very very viable.
3: and um, Aperba, you, um something you had said that I, I think a lot of us on this this uh webinar will enjoy is you know you mentioned about the standards um on these solutions um I'd be interested if you could elaborate on that quickly, and then also talk about how it fits into other building, you know, the building automation standards that we're that we've seen or that we continue to see.
2: Yeah,
1: that's a good question. So um, the standard that I mentioned, uh, IoT Access Protocol, it's you can kind of think of it as an overlay to many of the building and industrial IoT uh, industrial um, automation protocols like BACnet, LonWorks, Modbus, Ethernet IP, what have you, right? Uh, what you know, it it plays really nicely with all of these protocols that you find. It provides um, sort of a mapping to the different data types and device information models found in these protocols. Uh, but not only that, but it also provides mapping to the different services, right? So a lot of these protocols define how things, data is logged, you know, how data is trended, scheduled, broadcast messages, change of value messages, all of these different things that these protocols define. Um, you know, they define it within that protocol, but we provide an overlay on top of that so that they can be cross protocol communication. So, you know, using this protocol, a simple thing like taking a Bluetooth sensor and actuating a, you know, a, an HVAC system that's talking back in the IP, you can do that autonomously, uh, just you know, through the through edge, just peer-to-peer connection between these devices. So that's what that enables. Um, and we've built that into a product called the Smart Server IoT, which companies like Prologic use to sort of manage all the devices that are in legacy or new
3: buildings. Thank you for that, and I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to invite all the panelists to come back uh, on camera, and um, I have some questions which we'll we'll throw out and um, continue our can continue our discussion. Um, so so one of one of the questions that um that came from our uh, the people listening in was, "Oh shoot, where did I put the one I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. oh um do you do do and this is for everybody and and i'll um we'll kind of just open it up um do we see cellular i o t deployed?" Uh, it's kind of the first question and, and the other piece is how does it really compare to LoRaWAN developments? So I don't know who wants to take that first.
4: Um, I guess I can talk about that because we do have solutions that we're, we're actually using both right the actual gateway edge hub is actually using the cellular backhaul to communicate to the cloud solution where the devices in the field are using lower WAN to talk to that edge device. So we're using a mixture of that. So, you know, the endpoints are very easy to deploy. They're, you know, battery-operated sensors doing IAQ or temperature, humidity, people counting. They're talking back to that gateway. And then that gateway is using a secure connection. We can do it through our network, uh, but depending on, you know, there's a question about infrastructure. Uh, if you don't have infrastructure cabling, is expensive. Putting in switches is expensive. Uh, if you don't have that infrastructure, it might be cheaper for you to take, you know, a 60, $60 or $80 recurring charge in a cellular backup. And use it that way so that's how we're doing it so you can do a combination of both
7: anyone else have um, I just wanted to add one quick point uh, another interesting thing about the LoRaWAN gateway is uh, there's a there's a new revolution web 3.0 decentralized network kind of thing wherein people are setting up gateways and uh, it, it's a network which is available everywhere with LoRaWAN and you can leverage that without needing to set up multiple LoRa gateways. So Helium is one company doing that. There are a few others, but it's really interesting space that these decentralized Uber kind of concept within the connectivity for buildings.
3: But there, there is a cost associated with that too, right? And I, I, don't know, I don't know if any of you guys have played with that to see if that's – and I don't want to go down the – so Laura Owen uh, rabbit hole here, but um, I, I know that there, there is a cost to that and how much data you're pushing can really determine if that's a viable solution for you.
4: Right. Yeah, but sometimes that's cheaper than you know retrofitting cable and copper and putting in switches and putting all services, maintaining firewalls. So it really comes back to your appetite and what you want to see. Sometimes the data, you don't know what you're gonna get. So instead of putting you know $60,000 worth of hardware, you go with 10,000 and figure out if that's that's suitable for you and a good investment. So.
3: Mark, um, you you had mentioned in one of your slides, the affordability of um, th- this IoT at the edge, can, can you kind of um, talk about how you would measure that or how you would define affordability?
5: Well, first of all, I you know, it's more than the cost of a device or a controller. I think obviously, that is part of it. But it's also what it goes what goes into as far as deployment uh this uh, and uh somebody just mentioned it about having to pull wires, no wires wireless etc also uh what being able to use one platform and have instead of having to worry about multiple platforms as far as maintenance upgrades patches so forth and so on equally the fact that you, can you get a wider audience to be able to grab data, again, with proper security clearance and permissions uh, to be able to use that and to be able to really zero in on certain things that don't have to go through a centralized BMS or BAS platform. For example, if you wanted to just uh, zero in on the air handler units you've got in your building or buildings, that's a, a good example where you don't have, it can be done independently of the DMS. So it's all, all the traditional things that go in is, uh, I would define as cost, not just the cost of the piece of hardware, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I think having those sensors in also can extend the life of equipment, which is another benefit. Exactly. Right, which exactly. I think a lot of people don't think about.
5: Yeah, and I, I was actually yesterday at, uh, on doing something and that was brought up that uh, one of the use cases was they were able to extend their their heavy equipment in their buildings an additional eight years over the manufacturer's uh, you know recommendations or you know whatever they said and they equated it to that that saved them uh, almost three quarters of a million dollars in between capex and opex so that was
3: you know, to your point,
5: Mike, I think, well said.
3: I think one one thing that as we we talk about between the edge and the cloud and something that we didn't go too much into on today's uh, webinar, but I just want to kind of throw this out there is around cybersecurity. Um, You know, is it, is there a, what's your guys take on cloud versus edge as it relates to cybersecurity?
4: It's, I guess I'll go again. Sorry, guys, I like talking now, Uh, but uh, we've actually put in protocols and we create actually specific tunnels within our cloud solutions, right? So anything that is going from our building, when we talk to a cloud provider, we have to be able to deploy our infrastructure into their cloud environment, right? So what we look for is an environment where we're not sharing tenancy with other vendors or with other tenants or with other customers, where we have dedicated space so that we can then create our own you know, internal VPN tunnels or or the version of our SD-WAN so that we're directly taking data from the buildings into the locations we are and we're not just exposing it out to the infrastructure or to the ether as as it would be. So one of our specific requirements is that that vendor can manage the solution that we have to deploy in their infrastructure and then use it that way. So we're not doing, you know, going out, it goes directly to specific points that we wanted to go to.
3: Jerry, I would imagine you guys have some pretty strict... uh security policies there at, uh, at Stanford. We do, and
2: we, we've got some great teammates to help us there. But one consideration for doing analytics at the edge, HVAC analytics on the actual field controllers, is how is the knowledge that's being generated by those analytics going to be accessed, and who needs to access them? If it's uh, a building controls operator who day-to-day has access to the building control system and that's how they're going to see it, that's fine. If there's stakeholders across campus who have no business being in the, the building management system, how are they going to see this knowledge and then how is that knowledge going to get shared? So it creates some security challenges. There, there's ways to work around all of these. But one of our policies now is we want to get people out of our primary operating systems, whether it's the building controls, the lighting controls, any skaters we have. And then It's kind of a trade-off. Sometimes they say, well, let's get all the raw data in the cloud and we'll manage security for all the users in the cloud. Conversely, maybe it's easier to do the analytics uh, under one of these other systems and then just port the data somewhere. So I don't have the answer, but there are trade-offs, and you do have to think about them.
3: I think segregating those users, too, from read-only to who actually needs to control things, um, you know, is, is also important in that role. Yep. Um, so, this this another question that came from um, uh, an audience member um, for Acela and Apurbo, um Talking about it says, when capturing data for management systems analysis, does furnishings, I guess, like the furniture, uh, play a role? Like, for instance, would flexible furniture systems help create smarter buildings?
8: Acela, so I'll let you answer that one. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this—you know—we're we, we, doing a lot with the likes of sort of pod manufacturers and so on around how, how you enable uh, data into into furniture in many respects. So, you know, we we have devices that are barometers that go into seats to identify whether that seat's occupied right now and monitor that through our lighting networks. So, absolutely, I think there's a huge opportunity around you know some of those fixed assets in the building being part of the intelligence of the building.
3: not sure if anyone else has anything to add to that
8: one of the other
1: projects that we're working with with a with a different integrator is around outfitting retail store furniture retail stores uh, with LoRa based sensors um and um it's in a multi-store sort of a, a retail outlet and you know initially it's around energy management uh you know what they're doing with the LoRa sensor but you know i think the future future plans are to be able to Put sensors within furnitures to to figure out which ones are being you know uh, looked at and which ones are which ones are being ignored and not sat in and things like that. So you know there's you know, there's that sort of a use case as well, and not just sort of optimizing furnishing around a, a place, but in retail outlets, you know, uh, knowing what's going on in your store.
5: I'll give you an example uh, where a, a major financial institution. Uh, pre-COVID did a lot of uh, hoteling where their global uh, company and they would have people reserve rooms when they come in, so forth and so on typical, you know, not new to any of us. But people began to question whether or not if John reserved a room, did he or uh, did he just go in there, drop his belongings off and then was off? meeting with other people and other settings within the, in, the environment. So uh, in this case, we put sensors, not only up in the wall to uh, you know see if the person is occupied in the room, but underneath the seats as well, so we could tell if the person was in there and all that data was brought together, whatever reviewed, and they changed the number of hoteling type rooms and actually were able to uh, shut down two or three different buildings as a result of all this data and whatever that they were able to capture so yes to that to me the question is uh, yeah can the furnishings help make a smarter building absolutely um
3: Thank you, guys. Um, so our our next question is around um, ROI. So, um, and this this is just an open question to the panel. What type of ROI or budgets are are we seeing from building owners to put these solutions in action? I mean, is that a, is that is that is that the barrier right now? That hey, everyone knows they want to do this and it's a cost. Um, but what what return on investment are they looking for? Are, are they are they you know those of you who are actually integrating out there? Do you,
8: yeah, I think it's a, it's a tricky one. From, from what I see, it's, it's the, yeah, the ROI is one piece, but it's also about there's so much competition about getting people back into the built space. So enhancing the quality of data, the, the information that's available for not just the building owners, but also the potential occupiers is driving this. So there's almost, you know, we can give you a better environment for you to return to, and that's driving a lot of the decision-making. So it is not just a pure decision. <laughs> And I
5: think, too, the looking at it from a little bit different perspective than the true hardcore ROI, which is important, don't get me wrong, is also looking at it from specific identified KPIs that you want to accomplish and also what actual outcomes actually occur from all of this. And I think that's a, a little bit newer way and a different way to start looking at how especially the edge addition to building systems and stuff uh, is a, a new way to look at things
4: yeah i would say that there's two for us right for us there's a re- reputational right roi because if you're that company who was just stuck in the 90s or the early 2000s and you're not moving forward and you're just yeah we have a building that's it i, I think that's going to hurt you especially with the type of tenants that we're looking to attract uh, and then if you're able to use the metrics for your internal services and operations, one of the things that we looked at with, uh, indoor usage and quality of, of, you know, who's in the, who's in the space, especially with COVID. Right. We had to reduce our, our cleaning staff our parking staff, generator staff massively because of our, our properties were not occupied. Now, as we're going back into the buildings, we need to be able to call back those providers and say, look, my floor five to 10 are occupied, but 15 to 20 are not. So. Let's focus on cleaning those spaces and, and reducing our costs. Uh, and then also we've ordered a ton of cleaning supplies, right? Just like everybody has to have clean supplies at hand, a lot of that stuff is expiring. Right. So knowing where to actually deploy it. If you have a building that has a ton of supplies and other sites are being occupied faster, let's let's reshuffle that over there. So we don't have to start ordering equipment, ordering supplies, ordering products in that point, right? And then there's you know attracting the tenants that you want to have in your building is really, really great. So Reputational and finding some operational
1: returns on your investments. Yeah, I'd say one other thing is you know it depends on the solution that that you're implementing, right? There's a lot of point solutions that provide great ROI just off the bat. We started working with a company called Kairos Water. They make water detection leak detection systems that, mm-hmm. and then detecting a leak, they can shut off uh, you know valves and things like that, and the ROI is phenomenal, right? But that's a point solution and and it's a no-brainer. But when you're looking at Sort of whole building level solutions like the one that Acela provides. There's a lot of layers, uh, uh, you know, of return rather than just purely a financial return that you can measure. Um, so yeah, I think it's across the board in these smart building edge technologies.
3: Jerry, I think you're going to say something.
2: From from my perspective here at Stanford, being a large owner and 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 operator, we've been able to clearly. Demonstrate the the energy savings and I think if we throw in other utilities like leak detections, which has had big benefits We mm-hmm. can document that real. Well, what we've done the past couple of years has focused on the maintenance benefits And we have not been able to do a good job of quantifying Maintenance cost savings and I think maybe we're just a little too big a little too slow. You know people aren't fung- Fungible as energy, you know, if you, you save a kilowatt hour, you know You saved it, but I'm not gonna we're not gonna lay off half our tax because we think maybe we're gonna save labor in, in, in two years. Uh, the other thing is a lot of this has grown up out of the energy side here, at least here at Stanford, because we have the resources to invest it in and try. Um, and even though we try to include our maintenance partners, they tend to feel like they're on the outside. So for the past 24 months, it's like, tell me what you need, tell me what you need. And it's hard because they don't know exactly what smart new thing's going to make their life easier. And so we really have to get that conversation down to a a real basic level, and say, you know, if all you want is some vibration sensors added to these compressor motors, we'll do it, right? And it's like nobody thinks that's smart and exciting enough to ask for. But <laughs> if that's going to tangibly, you know, reduce uh, reactive maintenance and make PM easier, then then we need to do it. And so that's kind of where we're at right now, just let's dumb this all down and just get practical. Where where are you spending your time? And if we have the instrumentation and the data, the analytics are easy. If we don't, maybe we can splurge on a few more sensors. And this is kind of where that whole wireless network comes in. Maybe we don't need to tie it into the HVAC. We can put it on this grand, brand new, really sophisticated future wireless IoT network of the future. And, yeah, we'll put some vibration sensors or, or whatnot. So that's yeah. really what we're looking at. How are we going to see the real money savings related to maintenance? And hopefully in... Twelve to twenty-four months, we can give you a nice case study on what we found.
7: No, if if I may just uh, add to all the nice con- nice points by everyone, uh, I would consider three buckets. One is your energy and ESG. Second is your facility management, making it easier and cheaper to manage. And third would be the digital amenities uh, you can give to the tenants, which will improve the rent collection. So you may split the ROI in three different buckets and try to see, based on the building and use cases, it will differ. But you can define the ROI.
3: And I think I think a lot of this goes back to, and and I think Byron will probably have a, some insight on this too. Is it's it's providing an experience so that you're retaining your tenants, right? and Mm -hmm. you want you want people to stay there and and some of this technology which maybe on the back end they don't care about but trust me they know when it doesn't work
4: oh yeah definitely and and it's about sexy technology right like a lot of the esg stuff is you know those things are really flashy really nice but the operation side where the actual efficiency of the building how are your elevators running how are you getting people from the parking lot up into the spaces how are you making the property operate faster that's where tenants going to really look at We've actually had requests from tenants asking to integrate into our internal networks, right? Because they might not be as efficient or as sophisticated, but we will have the infrastructure for them, right? So that makes a, a lease a little bit easier to sign, or a lease request a little bit easier to to grasp for us, especially if it's you know a quality tenant who's high in technology, have global presence, who are using things that you know in other countries are maybe not as restrictive, right? We have a lot of uh, requirements, right? CCPA, GDPR in, in, the, in Europe, right, those requirements make it really hard sometimes to be able to pull data. We have Other countries where they don't really care, just put it and we'll track whoever is in there and the tenant expect that to work as well. So we have to figure out a way to do that together. Uh, so being able to meet their technology you know, requirements while also operate the building uh, because you're going into a long term partnership with them and you want to attract uh, tenants as the leases come and roll over. But, you know, it's, it's definitely something that you, it's good to have in your toolbox.
5: You know, one of the things too uh that people I believe often forget is the increase in the actual asset value with this type of technology Mm or or whatnot that I think property let's say is valued at five million and what and that does not have technology and all the stuff we talked about, let's just say stuff. And the same exact building, same thing does. And the, there's a difference in uh, the way it's valued and uh, the one with technology is valued, uh, usually at a higher uh, valuation.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: definitely, yeah, Mark. I mean, that's with us, we're seeing that, right? Because as we are providing, if you're a tenant and you want to be able to do a bunch of things from your smartphone, right, you're probably going to go with a company or a building that can support that. So. Uh, that is, you know, a lot of tenants are looking at those pieces. What can you do for me to not just work from home, but also work in the building as that hybrid workspace is becoming more available, right? How do I know a building's internal temperature today or occupancy today or usage today so that I can say, I'm going to drive the hour and a half from my house or not just stay home and work because I have a meeting coming up and I don't want to get on the freeway today.
3: Well, um, I'm going to invite Chuck to come back on with us here. Um, We are out of time. I appreciate everyone's time on the panel. Um, Always a great discussion, and um, I'm sure we can continue this at the show in June. Um, Hey, Chuck, welcome back.
0: Great. Thanks. Good discussion. I, I I'm I was so busy posting questions from the audience. I, I I almost glanced over at the time and I saw where you were. So thanks for keeping track of that. You guys did a great job. It looked really good. Mike, thanks again for hosting us, all the panelists and your just really valuable contributions. So and to all the audience questions. We didn't get to all of them. So I will supply that list of questions to this entire panel. Uh they they will find you and they can uh, provide answers as appropriate. So I do want to also mention to our live audience and those watching on the recording, thank you for tuning in and be sure to check out Friday's broadcast of Real Calm Live. It starts at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. in Europe, where Jim Young will interview Trevor Payne from the University of Birmingham, and they're going to explore what's on a smart campus. And what does that mean? So. Uh, definitely check that out. You can also register for the next webinar in our Smart Building Showcase Series, airing April 19th, focused on in-building wired and wireless strategy, exploring 5G and CBRS, that Citizens Band Radio Service. And finally, go to realcom.com to register for RealCom IBCOM conference event that's going to be in Orlando. A lot of the people you see here will most likely be there. It's going to be June 15th and 16th. They do a golf outing and pre-conference events earlier in the week. So I, I hope to see everyone there. Uh, so uh, that's it for today. We wish you well. I'll just say be safe and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank You're Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, bye.